G'day, everyone. Welcome back to Talking Leadership. Thank you for joining me again on our shared pathway to understand this thing called leadership. So by way of introduction, my guest is an author, speaker, and productivity expert with a wealth of knowledge working across six countries for nearly two decades, including working with large multinationals. He was involved in developing a global supply chain excellence program for one of those. Renowned for his simplified techniques, He works with manufacturing businesses to move them from chaos to excellence through productivity improvement programs and frontline leadership development programs. Good morning to Ishan Galapathy. How are you, Ishan? I'm very well, Eric, and uh, thank you for this opportunity to be part of your program. I very much appreciate you giving up your time to speak with me. So let's get things started from where we need to, mate. So leadership and its learning. So you've had experience in the leadership game from the production process point of view. So that's where I'd like to start. What have you learned from the production process as it relates to leadership? Uh, When I look at my career, particularly over the last two decades, I think there are two categories of roles that I've had. And one is what what you just mentioned in terms of production management. So that's kind of just managing, you know, just converting the raw materials and making some kind of a widget or thing uh, that's that's tangible and just goes out the door, right? The other role when I look at is this continuous improvement role. Um, Now, whether it is at a site level or in my last role at Kellogg, whether it is looking after all of Asia Pac, but it's pretty much that continuous improvement, uh, shifting performance, capabilities, etc. And I just want to compare and contrast um, across these two. So what I found as a production manager is a role that you get pulled from pillar to post and, and you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. And it's because you're stuck in this day to day vortex you know it's the people absenteeism it's the machines breaking down it's the ingredients that's not you know behaving the way it should be and when all things you think when all things are singing like a synchronized choir you know you get a call saying that john's not getting along with mary or somebody is unhappy that they didn't get overtime on saturday and and they want to have a chat so and even if you thought that you got on top of all of that your boss wants to have a chat about hey how's that project that we want you to get started i have a soft spot for um you know these frontline leaders and people who are kind of managing the shop floor but it's it's pretty much the day today as I call it so that's been and you really got to be a master at juggling to lead to lead so your ability to stay calm your ability to delegate your ability to prioritize instantly important versus urgent constantly is what's going to get you on top of your game now if I can quickly contrast that against the continuous improvement manager I love that role because it's the complete opposite it's where you're working to shift performance year on year. So it's the day-to-day versus year on year. But what you're trying to do is help people like the production managers, help people who are struggling with machine breakdowns or, or things not performing the way they should to help them identify root causes and get ahead so that you can run things more efficiently. So I find that to be almost like a, um, a give back and, and a gift that you can go back to organizations or teams to be able to say, let's do this better. So they're kind of my key takeaways, if I can uh, summarize into um, a few sentences. In both Mm. those examples, it 
it's one thing for a, a production line or production system to go faulty, but it's typically people at the heart of these processes. And as you've gone along in your career and you've met the leaders that you've met, do you do you resonate with the following that uh, with new leaders in those processes that they've said to you, I didn't realise the people part of being a manager leader was something that came at me out of left field, they didn't expect that to be a key part of the job? Um, if we look at, at mid to senior leadership, it's it's not common. So pe- people know that leading people are our biggest uh, biggest part of any 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 team leading or team managing. So people know that, but I think if it is mid to senior leadership, what people don't realize is how difficult that is. So I think hence the hence the reason why you know so many books are being written on leadership and um, etc. Et so um, that's not uncommon, but perhaps people underestimate the effort um, it takes. You know, even when you think that you're on top. You know, it, it only takes a little bit to kind of break that trust or people realize that you're not on their side or whatever those issues are. But one of the common things I see is at, at frontline leadership level. So yes, so in terms of people not realizing how much of people management skills or how much of a, a frontline leader role actually involves around managing people versus managing the process or the equipment. I think that people are either pleasantly or uh, helplessly surprised by because it's not uncommon, particularly in manufacturing. A best operator to get promoted as the team leader. And it, it's almost like this left brain, right brain thing. It's, it's almost like, you know, the best operator is, is this mechanical connection to the machine. I'm almost like this machine whisperer. You know, I can attend to a machine breakdown and, and, and I understand this machine. You know, it's the cogs that turns and, and, and I can troubleshoot, uh, etc. But that best mechanic or the, the operator gets promoted as the team leader. All of a sudden, it's a different game. And, and all of a sudden, it's the right brain. All of a sudden, you're nurturing a team all of a sudden you got to be the the soccer coach on the sideline trying to uh, you know enjoy the little kids uh, kicking a goal and it's not about you it's about the team so all these things people find you know if if they haven't learned or if they haven't read or if they haven't been given the opportunity and guess what most frontline leaders don't get these opportunities they struggle so that i find a, a a common theme particularly in the manufacturing sector you, you, I have to ask this question, and if, if that's one of your insights, is that do you think organisations now are looking to invest more money in some transitional training or learning opportunities to help new managers coming through? I'd like to say yes, Eric, but that could be because I'm biased, because I do have a program that targets frontline leaders. So I'm having a lot of conversations with many organizations around that. So it could be that what you focus on, you know, that's that's when, you know, you buy one of those yellow Beetle Volkswagen cars and then all of a sudden you see a hundred of them on the road. So it is one of those things, right? So I'd like to think there is. Uh, so organizations are focusing on this. But I also think that there is a real purpose that businesses are focusing on this because what we've gone through in the last 18 months have actually amplified how important these frontline leaders are, how important the people are. I think I think that's one of the key learnings that we've walked away with with this disruption over the last 18 months because it's not about the automation, it's not about the software. At the end of the day, there are people pressing buttons, there are people making it work, and, and how we engage 
engage these people, how we work with these people have been really important. And to make that happen, team leaders, frontline leaders, team managers, supervisors, all these people are the ones uh, that probably the linchpin of organizations. So absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah. yeah, excellent. Thank you for that. This segues very nicely to the next topic area, Ishan, and it's about culture. Now, we've talked about this on offline, and I'd love to get your, your views here, the culture yeah. leadership link from an org level to a country level, because you've had experience in multiple different organizational and countries, you know, the cultures in those countries. And I'm at a disadvantage here in that I've only ever worked in the Australian context and I understand uh, colloquially the Australian work ethic and what it is to work in uh, different industries in Australia. So coming up, I've worked in, I personally worked in building and construction, the public sector, now the private sector and in advocacy. So I have a a range of different organizational and cultural experiences, but there's still there's still one underlying theme that's common across all of them that it's been in Australia, not anywhere else. So I'm keen to get your views on what does culture mean if it's not in Australia, so working overseas. Uh, you mentioned in my introduction and when we had that chat, uh, offline chat, I mentioned that in my last corporate role with Kellogg, I was looking after all of Asia pack factories uh, from helping them to improve productivity. And it's not until you have to actually go and work in a separate country altogether, you understand what culture really means. I mean, you know, we say that Australia is a multicultural country and, and it is. Uh, we get to, you know, enjoy the food, you know, listen to the languages and, um, you know, explore cultural diversity. But the significance of that is not really understood until you have to immerse in a different culture altogether. And you're trying to deploy a program, you're trying to deliver a training program, or you're ha uh, planning to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. The cultural importance, the cultural nuances are absolutely important because the gift that I took away from that role when I was with Kellogg, the, the, the Asia-Pac role, was that understanding that engaging people that b beneath the, the surface of the metaphorical surface and the literal surface of the skin and the flesh, we are all the same. The way we operate, the way we engage, the way we get inspired, we are all the same. But the cultural nuances, the cultural facade, um, as I mentioned the other day, is what we see clearly at the front. So unless the person on the other side is able to understand and translate, again, literally and metaphorically, through this cultural facade, you're not going to be able to talk to the real person inside. And when you can, magic happens. So I'll, I'll give you a few examples. In South Africa, the greeting is Saubona. Now, Saubona means I see you. It's uh, I see you. I see you wholly as an individual. I, I recognize you. So there's a lot of deep meaning behind it, which will go way beyond this podcast. So I'll keep it brief. But it's that sheer acknowledgement of I see you as an individual and I recognize your presence. It, it is that meaning of Salbona in, in the language Zulu. So that to them means a lot. So even when you meet, you know, you could be just a, um, you know, in, in the factory setting, I could be just walking down a corridor and here comes an operator. But you need the the way that they've been brought up is you make eye contact. You make eye contact with everyone and you do a little slight nod. That's a way of saying Saubona in practice because I see you, right? And and you understand the importance of this action when you understand the history of South Africa, particularly given the fact that most of these people have lived through the apartheid region, uh, regime. So one day I was walking down the corridor and my head was... Uh, 
probably in Sydney, thinking of something. I'm generally a warm, acknowledging, hugging uh, kind of person. But on this moment, I, I, I just didn't know. And, and this person opened the door for me and I just straight went into the, uh, the head office, put my bag down. Before I could turn my laptop on, the HR director was in my, uh, near my seat and, and, you know, in his deep Zulu voice, which I won't try to imitate because I'm bad at uh, imitating um, accents. He said, hey, uh, Ishwizi. Well, Ishwizi was my Zulu name they had given to me. He said, hey, Ishwizi, what's going on? You know, so-and-so came and saw me and said that you didn't even acknowledge and uh, see this. And he's the one who was uh, explaining to me the significance of um, greeting and acknowledging that they take it to heart. But guess what? If you take the trouble for that two seconds to see someone and even say Salbona, or even if you don't say Salbona, you just do that little head nod, that man's the best friend. So the next time you're in a training session or next time you're on the floor asking for that person to do something, you're his best friend. And and that's how that matters. Now, in India, uh, recognition matters a lot. And, uh, and I find that uh, particularly in group settings, a no matter what, in group settings, in facilitation, you could be the best facilitator. You ask questions, you're not going to get uh, replies back because they have that fear of not wanting to fail in front of their peers. So it could be the best person that you've had this great conversation and you have the best relationship. Put them in a team setting, you ask the questions, they're almost like you, nothing. And you're wondering what's going on. But also, like when if you're in, in a meeting environment and, and people share good ideas, you find that a lot goes to recognizing the good idea and recognizing the the individual almost to the point that you know in the in the western world we would say oh get along let's just start implementing on that action um, you know that's enough about how good the idea is you know the uh, the exciting part is the implementation not the idea i've also had the um, the opportunity in you know observing in in korea where you ask a, a shop floor team in, in a factory to say we're going to run a little activity tomorrow morning we'd want everybody to come in half an hour early and and uh, be ready you would have to say that once you would find that by the time you get there they've all turned up uh, they've self-appointed a uh, like a team leader and and they're ready to go so you better bring your a game um when you're in that kind of uh, setting because that um continuous improvement uh, wanting to do better being driven at, at every level of the organization is in their dna so you can't just rock up in your Rossi things like, hey, mate, how are you? No, you know, they'd be terribly disappointed. And if you're in Japan, if you're running a training session, if you stop early two minutes, they feel cheated. They feel that you've shortchanged them because you said it was going to be half an hour training program and you've only delivered 25 minutes. So there are all these little things, whereas in Australia, it's just like, oh, man, brilliant. Thanks. Thanks so much. Yeah, great. Um so you've got to understand these things and to understand what is it. I mean, these are little nuances, but at the end of the day, people want to be recognized. I mean, that's that's a global thing. People, um, you know, if they can speak, if you can speak their language, if you can talk in the way that it, it's their environment, they love it, right? So, you know, I, I, I learned three things. Every time I go to a new country, I, I learn to say hello. I learn to say thank you. And I learn to say, can I have more chili, please? Because every time I go to a restaurant, obviously, as a Sri Lankan, born and grown up person I love my chili with food so if I know how to say hello if I know how to say thank you and if I can order more chili with my food I can survive in that country being immersed in those cultures have you learned a lot more about the leadership function over and above what you've just explained at a one-on-one -on -one level at a one-on-one -on -one level if you can talk whatever the language is and I don't mean that in a literal sense if you can connect deeply within 
the individual that you're talking to, I think you can make magic happen. So I think if I can summarize or, or you know, that's that's probably my key takeaway. And at an organizational level, then it's understanding what the different groups are, right? I mean, there is no, even in South Africa, you know, there are three different types of races. So you've got to be able to connect with those uh, different groups. Even in India, there are, you know, probably two or three. So, and, and many in Australia. So how do you understand that you've got to, filter through these different cultural facades to talk to the individuals inside. So if you can do that, then I think one would be a, um, a brilliant leader. Let's segue into what links the first two topics we've been talking about, and that's leader capability. So what do you believe are the most critical leader capabilities, Ishan? In in, in general and in different levels, um, I take it. Yeah, uh, split them however you like. If you think there's, yes. a, there's a split there, please. Yeah. Well, let me see if I can give a, if a general view. Now, the, the leader capabilities, I think, no matter how, you know, new, new topics or new ways that, you know, we, we learn about this, if you try to distill it down, I think the fundamentals remain the fundamentals. I think to be able to lead teams effectively, the capabilities one need to have is that a very clear understanding of what's going on around here right what's going on in in my area what's going on in my company and 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 what's the status quo um you know and and where are we heading and you know it's kind of you know if you're a simon cynic fan you might say yeah Sean, you're talking the the start with why and the passion and the purpose yeah it could be and you know it could be the you know how do you create that vision and etc so yes it's all of that but it's not all of that as in how do you create that and put that on a PowerPoint slide or put that onto um, a framed picture on a wall. It's more around how do you actually embody that so in everything you do, in every meeting you turn up to, you know that's the reason why and you're able to get that across to your team. So if you're if you've got that ability to um, take your team to be able to say this is where we are at and this is where we are going I think that's one of the best capabilities um, that one needs to have the second one is not getting involved in everything I think that the fact that we work as teams is to kind of bring the synergy so one of the biggest things that I see particularly in my line of work and trying to help organizations improve productivity is deploying specific initiatives that's going to shift performance year on year now one of the cardinal sins that organizations or even individuals um, do is the fact that we are so driven and we really want to get there really quickly and we want to do so much because hey you know that's what this world you know that's how we've been kind of programmed to and and with that mindset what we do is we try to deploy as much as we can so it's, it's the number of initiatives and the number of projects we can run and what ends up having is the people actually burn out and people get frustrated and a lot of projects get started but not many get completed so kind of you know die you know, fizzle away and die a slow death. So when we deploy these projects, it's not about the starting and it's it's actually about the finishing. So what I would say is this ruthlessly prioritize the initiatives and the number of projects that you want to deploy because it's not the quantity, it's the quality. You know, I'm using the standard cliches here. It's, it's that stop starting, start finishing, which is 
what my entire second part of my new book, Advance, is all about. And I bring this metaphor of elephants versus turtles. You know, when elephant, little elephant calves are born, you get this entire herd nurturing the baby elephant calves. And, and uh, science tells us that the survival rate is 65%. Compared to turtles, um, they lay, you know, hundreds of eggs. And, and uh, again, you know, statistically, only one in one 1,000, so 0.1% is the survival rate of a, um, a turtle egg developing to a um, adult uh, turtle. So my question to leaders uh, who are listening to this is when you look at your to-do list, when you look at your project list right now, are you laying turtle eggs or are you nurturing baby elephant calves is, is the question I want to ask. To get to where you are now in your thinking as a leader, Ishan, let me ask you this. Do you believe the way you view leadership has changed over time from when you were a young, younger leader or less experienced leader to now? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and I can see, you know, few key points. Again, in my in my first role, you know, from university to starting my first role, yeah, I, I didn't know what I was doing, right? You know, as as as, as many many would be, I think my first big aha moment was when I joined the first multinational companies because I was kind of in a in a well, big big fish in a small pond in my first role or the first company I was working for. So when I first started for multinational companies, I realised the importance of leading in uh, unionised workplaces. Right, because again, uh, the power, the the stakeholder management, and all of this, you know, it's almost like I had to drink from a fire hydrant and kind of, you know, upskill. So now, fortunately, you know, I've, um, I'm kind of a, like a people's person. You know, that's my innate leadership style. So whenever I'm in a, I, I get cornered. I kind of pull on that lever heavily so I'm, I'm blessed that that is my innate style. Uh, but I, I know that 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 was. A conscious aware state where as soon as I started that production manager role, um, that multinational, it's something that I had to quickly upskill. My second waypoint would be one of the brilliant leaders, Tim Morgan, that I worked with, a brilliant leader I'm still in touch with. He is one of those leaders that in a very short time, you learn a lot. Importance of coaching, the importance of how to lead teams. You know, and, and I think it's the first time I actually understood the difference between a coach and a mentor. He was actually a mentor. You know, I've, I've, I've had the good fortune of having good coaches as well. Yeah, and then there have been many other leaders in that first multinational company that I've, I was blessed to, uh, to to learn from. And there's probably two others. In, in when I was at Kellogg in the um, in that uh, global role and leadership role, what you constantly get stuck with is I'm not good enough mindset because now you're playing a leadership role at a global level. I'm the regional person. I'm leading uh, continuous improvement globally. And I'm just this little boy who grew up in Sri Lanka, came here and did okay in my corporate career. But at the same time, now I'm actually leading people who have got, you know, senior director or vice president in, you know, in, in their time. So when I'm facilitating meetings and, and when I'm standing in front of a room and trying to develop what is this uh, supply chain excellence framework, you know, for continuous improvement, um, to be able to understand that you're actually leading, you're not there to teach them, you're actually there to harness everyone's knowledge and, and to be able to have that Zen kind of mindset to to um, to be okay um that is not about you, it's about us. So when you can grow from being me to we to us, then I think you'd find that your leadership 
thinking uh, grows and i think it's, it's all very clear and it's all very good in um, in in hindsight or you know as as most things are but um, the thing again for listeners is the continual learning and the continual development of of your self-awareness and it's this lifelong journey of learning isn't it um, you you've got to be able to have that passion and the wanting to do more be more and grow more i have to agree i, th- I think maybe time in my estimation is the big teacher because you need time to create your relationships you need time to make mistakes and i'm sure i could write a list of my own and i don't think i've spoken to one person in leadership that hasn't learned from missteps as they've gone along as well as what you're saying that you you meet up with people through a career that in the first instance you think are, are potentially coaching you or because they're they're more senior that's just the role that they're in but when you look at how some of those people have worked in your life as a career they're probably more akin to a mentor than a coach or a a senior manager and I've I've had the good fortune like yourself to have those people and I still draw on those people to this day because they're the kind of people that you want to keep asking some questions of or or throw scenarios at and I think sometimes you want to see if you can stump them but if they're as good as they are they're not going to be stumped because they'll sit back and I think the best mentors I've seen in action with others and myself has been they'll let you talk and then they'll absorb it and then they'll ask you some reflective questions back they're not going to give you the answer but i think sometimes as as the mentee the the person seeking that knowledge you think you're going to get the answer you want and the best one the the best mentors i've ever encountered leave you asking questions and thirsting for more knowledge as opposed to well i've got the answers i'll go away now and that's it that probably not not the best the best adaptive way to be a leader but definitely resonate with your those waypoints there that you, you Hopefully you've learned from the the good people that you've encountered in your time. And I'll throw this in as an extra and the bad managers and leaders that you've seen that they've got something to teach you as well about what not to do. Does that resonate with you, mate? Absolutely. And, you know, there have been opportunities. Again, somebody said that life can only be understood in reverse, but you've got to live it in forward. Um, so, um, so when you're in these really difficult situations, you know, you, the, the only way out of it is through it. So, um, yeah, so if, if you're in a team that you're not enjoying, if you're with a manager who's not giving you opportunities, it can be really difficult, particularly at a time like this when the world is a little bit different and a bit, uh, a bit chaotic and a bit stressful. And, you know, certain uh, uncertainty is the only certainty. So at times like this, yeah, so I, I would say just, just push through it, just go through it because on the and and if you're feeling that you can't or you're just on the knife edge you're probably just on just on the edge of something great on the other side so um, just being able to push through and see it will give you a lot of growth and will give you a lot of learnings will also give you a lot of gray hair but you know these are the (laughs) these are the uh, opportunities that you later in 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 life or in, in your career you will see yeah that that one month or that six months with that team with that person actually gave me two years of business maturity gave me two years of uh, personality development you know 
it, it taught me the leader that I never want to be. Now, that's a good thing as well. Yeah, we could not agree more. All right, Ishan, last topic area, and love love to get your view on this. Let's look forward. Let's not worry about the past so much, but I'll, I'll try and draw out the the mystic and looking looking into the the crystal bowl in, into yes. the future. What do you believe are going to be the things that we need to be looking at more to generate effective leaders into the future? I think the part that's difficult for people to see is what the business landscape and that's just purely an economic and a political thing right so um uh, and and some would say uh, well not some but and an a medical now that will be whatever it will be so let's let's ignore not ignore let's just pause on that for a moment because that's something that we can't control if we then look at it from the perspective of yeah the businesses are going forward and and you've got to lead people through this then Again, uh, I would I would go back to those fundamentals that, that I mentioned before. Perhaps add one more. How do you see through this storm onto the other side? So whether that is... And, and you don't want to stretch too long. Like if you start talking about 10 years, people go like, you know what? I don't even know what's going to happen in 10 days, let alone in 10 years. For three years has been... Uh, three years have been kind of the standard, oh, let's just plan for three years. Now, again, you'll be the better judge of... Is that something that people are willing to work towards? So, you know, 2025, you know, round numbers, or maybe just the 12 months. So whatever the time frame, you've got to kind of give people hope, inspire people, and give them something to work towards. So how do you do that? And you really got, now's the time to be super careful about the turtle eggs you're going to be laying. Um, because um, people are a lot more tired, stressed, nearing burnout, all these things, and worried about families and you know worried about what if and if not and all these things so you got to be very careful as to what you do to shift that performance and and the projects you're running etc the third thing is caring for your team because again you know many could be working from home and you know you haven't got that uh, we are tribal beings uh, human beings are tribal beings and and we we need that coming together and, and, and working together to be more effective. So you've got to find uh, ways, you know, we can do that virtually, but it's not about the meetings, it's about the team. So how do you create time for the team to kind of talk about us? Talk about the team, what's happening in everyone's life. And so if you can create that little, you know, the the, the, the tribal fire spa- the fireplace, so that people can sit down and we can talk about not work, but let's just talk about us. And and if you can fire that, if you can light that fire uh, as a leader, I think you'll be doing a great service for your team right now. And the last thing is, as as a leader, uh, my good friend Bernard Smith um, says this all the time, and, and it's a, it's a fabulous one. As a leader, when you advocate and when you speak, speak as if you're correct. And when you listen, listen as if you are wrong. So if you can stick to these four principles of take the team to whatever time space, you know, whether it's 12 months, three years, um, give them something to be inspired of. Um, be very careful as to what initiatives and projects that you launch. So and when you do, make sure that you nurture uh, light a fire for your team and and invite people to just sit around the campfire and and have a chat about us and when you're leading be strong and be firm so to, just to talk as if you are right but be humble uh, to listen as if you're wrong fantastic way to end the discussion mate I, I really appreciate your time for those listening i've been speaking to ishan galapathy who is a author speaker and productivity expert thank you for your time man 
You're very welcome, um, Eric. Thank you. For those listening, this has been Talking Leadership. Thank you, as always, for following the podcast. More content on the way. And as always, I will catch you all on the next podcast.